When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the OBHA podcast. I am your host, Brian Middleton. And today we have a guest, uh, Kayla uh, Model. Is that correct? How I said it? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> I forgot to check with you how to pronounce it. So I got it right. Yay. <laughs> Great job. Welcome, Kayla. Hi, it's so nice to be on. I'm Kayla from All Day ABA. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, you can find me at the All Day ABA blog. I also have an All Day ABA Instagram and yeah, totally open to anybody reaching out regarding behavioral stuff or cult stuff, which is what we're going to talk about today. So, and I think we met through All Day ABA. Uh, I love All Day ABA and the, the study questions and how it really helps with preparing. Uh, I'll be honest, I used some of those study questions when I was preparing for the exam myself. Although I only discovered you like a month before I took the exam. So I was like, dang it, where was this the, the whole time? Uh, but it, it, it definitely brushed up, uh, sharpened up in preparation for the exam. So if you're studying for the exam, I highly recommend checking out uh, All Day ADBA and uh, the Facebook group, especially. That's, that's a good place for those conversations. Thank you so, so much. No problem. Um, okay, so we're talking about cults. Yes, yes, uh, we are. Cults and contingencies is the title of the podcast. So, Kayla, can you can you give us a definition of a cult? So, a loose definition is any group that holds a similar belief or value and kind of rallies around that. But for the purposes of today, we're kind of talking about cults that get to be toxic or have such a rallying around of an idea or belief or value but they do things to their members which are harmful to the members so kind of a destructive cult uh in other words okay um so i i'll be honest i did a little bit of reading ahead of time because i i'm, I'm really fascinated by this um i have been uh in cults before uh, and, and gotten out of them. Um, so it's, uh, and, and there's many varieties of cults out there. Uh, I really liked uh, the approach that Stephen Hassan, um, who wrote Combating Cult Mind Control, um, talked about. And so if you're okay with it, I'd like to share the bite model that he has. Yeah. Um, just so that way it helps us to get a better operational definition because he does a really good job creating a definition there. Um, so one is behavior control um, that's imposing rigid rules and regulations. Uh, rewards and punishment are used to modify behavior. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> that's ABA in application, unfortunately, in this case. Um, thoughts, feelings, and activities uh, for oneself or others are reported to superiors. So there's a reporting structure uh, 
kind of not minding your own business type thing. Um, financial manipulate manipulation, exploitation, and dependency is a common characteristic, although it's not required. Um, sometimes the idea of tithes or things like that is commonly applied, um, but specifically not like willing consensual paying, but more right. manipulating the individual into feeling guilt or shame if they don't. Right. Um, not just offering at a church service. This is like, yeah, like pressured. You are, you are a horrible person if you don't do it and you're not loved by God type thing. Um, information control is the next characteristic. So that's keeping, uh, frequently it's keeping members busy so they don't have time to think or investigate other things. Um, that reporting system comes back in where if somebody is straying from the allowed information, then they're reporting back. Um, outside sources of information are discouraged and controlled. Um, not always the case, but frequently the case. And sometimes the individual imposes that control on themselves actually frequently. Um, and then no contact with former members. They're considered flaw or apostates, or to use a term that when we were talking beforehand, because I love studying cultures. So there's a, a very um, Muslim, well, not Muslim, sorry, uh, Arabic term called haram, which means to be unclean. So uh, that's an oversimplification. There's more to it than that. Uh, the next characteristic is thought control. So a lot of us versus them mentality. Um, yes labeling any other belief system as illegitimate evil or sometimes it's not illegitimate or evil sometimes it can be just not useful it's not worth your time type thing which doesn't necessarily mean that something is a cold if they say it's not worth your time but it has to be all these characteristics together um members all agree on their doctrine it's that it's the only way towards salvation freedom peace prosperity whatever so it's very limited and it's in in the set um critical questions and doubts about doctrine leadership leadership or policy are totally not tolerated and um the the non-toleration can be in a variety of ways, like it could be uh, censuring of like, well, you need to repent for this, or you need to do this sort of thing because you questioned. Uh, it could be also really extreme, including um, in some very destructive cults, uh, as horrible as, and please, I, this is going to be a rough su subject, people. So these things trigger are going to come up. Trigger warning. Uh, it can be as extreme as, as rape as beatings, as things like that. So there's a kind of a continuum there. Uh, and then the last one is emotional control. So that's instilling fear. fear. So it's like fear of, of loss of salvation or your spiritual freedom or freedom in general, because there's political cults out there too. Uh, it's not limited to the spiritual um, or economic. Uh, fear of the outside world or somebody that's not your group. Uh, fear of leaving or being shunned by it because you're leaving. Um, this, this emotional control usually includes a lot of highs and lows, uh, a combination of praise and love bom bombing one minute. So just like overwhelming. And then the next just total degradation, total tearing the individual down and creating kind of a feast famine um, um, condition for the individual. Um, so those are, those are those characteristics that I love the bite model because it, it does a very good job of creating some operational definitions. Yeah. That was, I'm really impressed by that. That was really good. 
Yeah. Uh, just so you all know, Steve Hassan's book, which I'm still reading, although I'm really close to being done, is fantastic and it's helped a lot of people. Um, and uh, Steve Hassan himself was actually a former cult member. He actually was a leader in a, in a very famous cult from the 70s um, and has done a lot of work in helping people out. And he is a social psychologist. Um, as I've been reading this book, I've been hearing the social psychology approach and applying the behavioristic approach, especially uh, the additional stuff that we know from relational frame theory to it. And it, it does nothing but strengthen Steve Hassan's arguments. Um, so I highly recommend the book, reading it from both the framework of behaviorism and for its own sake, because it's, it's just fantastic stuff. So, sorry, I, I kind of monopolized the conversation there for a minute. Um, let me go ahead and drop the link to this article. So that way you can refer to it too, yeah. Kayla. Um, that way we're both, we're both on the same page there, but let's talk about those contingencies. So I originally came on to talk about positive punishment and negative punishment. So I'll go ahead and define both of those things. So with positive punishment, it's the addition of a stimulus that decreases the likelihood that a behavior will happen again in the future. Negative punishment, on the other hand, is a removal of a stimulus that decreases the likelihood that a behavior will happen again in the future. Mm. So with both types of punishment, you're decreasing behavior, the positive and negative doesn't mean good or bad. It just means the addition or removal of a stimulus. And and that's a, that's a big thing to understand because uh, a lot of times people think positive, negative, the, 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 the common mistake is negative reinforcement is referred to as punishment. Um, It's really funny because I think a lot of behavior analysts after the episode of big bang theory, uh, where yeah. they, they misused uh, negative reinforcement. Uh, they later did another episode where they corrected themselves. That <laughs> was, was funny. I, I, I saw the corrected version. Yeah. So they, they, they corrected it. And then, and then they even had, they even showed how somebody else made that mistake too. And I was like, well, us behavior analysts like to get loud sometimes, don't we? Yep. <laughs> we positively punish them. <laughs> but, well, people associate negative with like being bad uh-huh. and, the things we're about to talk about today are, you know, subjectively pretty bad, but in terms of just behavioral vocabulary, positive and negative don't mean good or bad. It's just addition and removal. I wish we had, someone had chosen additive and subtractive. That would have been a little bit less confusing. Um, But yeah, so positive. um, And then of course, punishment, meaning a behavior is decreased. So the, the, it's important to note that, the only way you know if a behavior is decreased is if you're keeping t- track of it. Um, right. Now you can have anecdotal tracking, of course, that's not invalid. It's just, ideally we, we have more specific data because memory is not perfect. Yep. So some like common examples of positive punishment might be if you touch a hot stove and you feel that pain, you're probably not gonna touch the hot stove again in the future. And that's, I'm learning that with my toddler with a lot of things I watch her like try something and it doesn't work so she doesn't do it again or she tries something and eventually it does work and that would be more reinforcing. Um, And then some other common examples like just growing up, if I were like not doing, or I let's say I was doing something that my mom didn't want me to do. She Mm -hmm. might say, oh, you're getting another chore 
to do later this week and adding on chores to try to decrease a behavior that she didn't want to see. Not saying that's the way all parents should do it. That's just a common example that a lot of people probably are familiar with. Well, and one of my favorite examples of positive punishment is, uh, especially for newer cars, if you start driving without putting your seatbelt on, ding, 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 ding. And then if you keep driving, it gets more insistent and doesn't stop. Um, That's a positive punishment because it's an an aversive stimulus that's being applied. And of course, that's paired with negative reinforcement because by buckling up, you are stopping the aversive condition. So therefore, it's resulting in a reduction of the behavior of not buckling up or sitting down without doing that buckling. And um, it's reinforcing the behavior of buckling up. So I frequently will be because that's really obnoxious to me, I will buckle up even before I start the car most times. Well, and something people don't realize. So let's say you have a kid who tends to be shyer in a class and a teacher gives them praise after they like raise their hand, answer a question and makes a bigger deal about it. Mm -hmm. If they stop that behavior in the future and they decrease their hand raising, that's actually positive punishment. Even if a teacher is giving a compliment to the kid, that's positive punishment, which is, you know, a whole other confusing aspect to punishment. Yeah. It's it, it, it's single subject case design, AKA people are unique and you where organisms are each unique and have their preferences. Yes. We have general things that we prefer, like not, a, I don't know any humans who prefer eating cyanide. Uh, but, (laughs) or if they do, it's a very short lived preference, (laughs) pun intended. Uh, but (laughs) like, so there's a general range of preferences that we can eliminate and, and know whether or not something is preferred or not. But at the same time, we have to look at each individual as that individual, because certain things are definitely not preferred. Like most people like praise. It's just, how is it delivered? Like that kid, that kid would probably appreciate, you know, a little note or perhaps uh, just a a nod from the teacher. That's still praise. It's just, how is it being expressed? So that's positive punishment, negative punishment. Let's talk about that one. That's, that's, that one's fun. Yep. So the common examples that I came up with are like, if you get grounded by your parents, like, so I, (laughs) I was obsessed with this like dinosaur DVD. It had like um, Ben Stiller is the narrator. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but if I, you know, was like, let's, let's say I was like throwing a tantrum at home or something. My mom would be like, okay, you've lost your dinosaur DVD. So she would take away the DVD with the hope of decreasing the behavior. Just for clarification, my mom is and was wonderful. These are just some really specific examples that applied to my own childhood. And, you know, loss of privileges is generally what a lot of, you know, people would think of as negative punishment. So a removal of something in order to try to decrease a behavior. Well, and uh, for a more natural example, uh, I'll share with you my most recent positive punishment, sorry, negative punishment situation. So I was walking out from the store and I was putting away my headphones because I like to listen to books while I'm walking around. And I know that when I get into my car, it's going to connect to the Bluetooth. So I'm putting my headphones away. I'm not paying very close attention to how I'm handling my headphones. And I fumble one and it drops into a grate. Oh, no. (laughs) And because it's one of those earbuds and because it's a $50 pair of headphones, And because the grate was very deep and there was water in the bottom, 
and there was no retreating it. <sighs> you're probably Let's, not going to walk by that grate again, or if you do, you're going to make sure the headphones are somewhere else. Well, specifically, the behavior that, that that was punished was just kind of mindlessly putting headphones away. Now, when I put headphones away, it doesn't matter where I'm at or what's going on. I make sure that I'm putting at least a good portion of my attention on it and holding it firmly. So that way I don't fumble it and lose them because the, the replacement pair of headphones were, are more expensive, not by much, but they're definitely nicer. Yeah. Um, so the behavior was that inattentiveness or that kind of mindless putting things away. Now I'm very much more mindful. And if I have to be inattentive uh, because of other conditions, I'm still mindful of the environment. So that way, if I do happen to drop it, it's not dropped into a grate because it's okay yeah. if it falls on the grass, if the grass isn't very long. I, I'm thinking of like a lot of times people who wear jewelry to the ocean find out the hard way and then they no longer wear jewelry to the ocean because yeah. they lose their jewelry. Exactly. So that's, those are all excellent examples of, of a negative punishment condition. So how do cults use these? So they use a lot of reinforcement too, but for right now, I'll just talk about the positive punishment things, the techniques that are often used within cults for manipulation. So public shaming is one. So if a group member does something that the leader doesn't like or that the leader doesn't deem as acceptable, they might publicly shame that particular group member in front of all the other group members. They could do it privately too, but public shaming seems to kind of be a popular technique. Yelling is, you know, another one. Um, trigger warning, or just continuing the trigger warning. Spanking and other forms of physical punishment. You inflict pain to try to decrease specific behaviors. Reprimands. And then another one I thought of like right before we came on is chaperoning. So mm. in the quiverful movement, which is kind of what I'm super familiar with, a parent or sibling will often accompany another person on like vacations or just dates to try to decrease any types of sexual behaviors between two courting individuals. Yeah. And frequently um, with cults, it's, it's one or other extreme when it comes to sexual behavior. Um, many cults are very common. A lot of people don't realize this. Um, and I actually know somebody who ran a mini cult. Uh, it's since fallen apart, thank goodness. But in this particular mini cult, and I'm not going to say names because, yeah, but in this particular mini cult, the expectation was you, if you withheld your body from the rest of the cult, then there was something wrong with you. So it was sexual exploitation to an extreme. But the flip side of that is, you're not allowed to use your body in any way, shape or form that is not pre-approved. And it right. can be as, as controlling as like for some cults, it's only when you're married. Um, yes. But for other cults, it's sex is only for procreation. If you're having sex for pleasure, that's not okay. That happens a lot with fundamentalist Mormon cults. Right. Um, and uh and there's a lot a big reporting structure. If somebody looks like they're doing it and it looks like they're having, having pleasure, they get reported and then they get punished, uh, either positive or negative. Um, or it's also like um, 
in 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 one cult that I've heard of, married you were only allowed to be married to somebody for whom the leader or the uh, appointed individuals within the cult below the leader has given you approval to marry. Yeah. Yep, so that's... can't can't marry for love unless you get approval from said leadership. Yep. Yep. And then I guess we can move on a little bit towards negative punishment and then we can expand on all of this, but negative punishment examples for cults that I came up with were withholding affection. So kind of like you were saying the love bombing and then either it's not always necessarily after love bombing that you're getting yelled at. Sometimes it's just, you get the cold shoulder entirely from all Mm -hmm. group members, from the leader, whatever. So withholding affection is, you know, negative punishment isolation. So just keeping people away from society to try to reduce quote unquote worldly behaviors. That's pretty common. Um, Being shunned for leaving or attempting to leave. Obviously cult leaders don't want their members leaving because Uh a lot of times the members are benefiting them. Um, Taking away belongings. You know, that's one that my husband and I specifically experienced Um, he and I lived together before marriage and partly as punishment, he had (laughs) his man sword taken away. I'm not kidding. So part of a ritual within his family structure was that you got a sword on your like 16th birthday or around then. And it kind of signaled adulthood, but and it, it wasn't supposed to be something that was ever able to be taken away, but because he made the choice to live with me, before marriage, we, he got his sword taken away, his adulthood sword. We eventually got it back, but that was something, you know, it Is was such an like interesting technique. Card? Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of like, well, you're not doing what we want you to do. So you are no longer a true adult in our eyes, but you can't really undo adulthood. So it didn't work very well. And my husband was just like, we'll keep it then. Like, you know, if, if that's going to be a tool over me, no. So it didn't work, but the attempt of that was to, you know, have him come back, stop sinning and yeah, by taking away his sword. Well, that's fascinating because like, so there are a lot of cultures who have rites of passage and rites of passage themselves. There's nothing wrong with them, but it was a rite of passage that was then used as a way of trying to control them or control him. So yeah. that, that in and of itself is, is incredibly fascinating. I'd never yeah, considered I, a right. Of, that's like, that's like having a, a bar mitzvah taken away. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've never heard of happening ever. Like, that they, I don't know if it's possible, but uh, that would be so. like a bar mitzvah being taken away. So. Yeah. Unless you had it planned and then you canceled it, but still. Well, like, after the bar mitzvah has been done and you're like years and years later, it's like, nope, nope. You're no longer a man. We take that back. Yep. Yep. And then withholding communication opportunities was another one that I came up with. So like, let's say a group member leaves, you know, withholding their ability to communicate with other group members, or in the case of like family cults, withholding siblings from other siblings, um, things of that nature, and just withholding like a cell phone. Like if you're, if you take away a group member's cell phone so that they can't call for help, I mean, that's a pretty effective way to reduce calls for help. Well, yeah. And, and then on top of that, I, in the more extreme cases, um, withholding food, withholding toileting privileges, withholding uh, a safe place to sleep. 
sleep um, deprivation too. I sleep, was oh, yeah. watched, I was watching the Love Has Won cult, and that cult leader actually died recently. And Doctor Doctor Phil had covered it. <laughs> Doctor Phil's his own separate topic, but specifically with this cult, they use sleep deprivation as a way to control the members, which is pretty pretty extreme. I don't know that most cults do that although i'm sure there's plenty that do but you know the, the based off of what um steve hassan says Stephen hassan says uh the more extreme destructive cults do um yeah. a lot of them do kind of a variation on the the theme um like some of the more overworking people yeah I overworking would, yeah. people uh, sometimes it's uh going out on a service mission or a mission of some sort and during that certain period of time you're overworked in some places it's placing a lot of demands. So it's not so much that they're intentionally depriving you of sleep. It's more that like, you just don't have enough time to live life and serve the role that they're telling you you need to serve. And so you're responsible for all these things and you're feeling like you're contributing to the group, but you also don't have time for sleep, especially if you're a parent. Yes. Because it's hard enough for parents to get sleep. Then you add in all those extra responsibilities and it's just kind of the lack of caring about the well-being of the individual yep in any way shape or form and i think what's interesting is that a lot of the punishment te techniques that are used directly reinforce the leader and that's kind of where a vicious where a lot of cults get into a vicious cycle because like the leader is reinforced by all the by all the punishments of the members and so the you know, leader continues to do that, but then they use, you know, love bombing and other things to reinforce the members staying because nobody in their right mind would just stay if they were just getting punished all the time. But that's, what's kind of so complex about cults is that although punishment is a huge part of it, it's not the only thing keeping them there. Yeah. Well, and that, that comes, that, that brings in variable rate and variable interval reinforcement, because if it's a lot of struggle and a lot of negative, but just randomly you get this kindness um, and it could be randomly based off a time frame, or it could be random, like maybe the, the leaders or somebody in the leadership feels particularly magnanimous at that moment in time, or maybe it's a little bit more planned because uh, a lot of times cults don't, especially small cults, they don't really know about this stuff. Although sometimes cult leaders will come from other cults and learn the skills and pass it on. Yeah. But regardless of whether it's planned or not, when you have that variable rate and variable interval reinforcement that, that creates, Very powerful. yeah, it creates an addictive effect, um, makes it so you want to, don't want to leave or, or any, any time you have a question or a doubt about leaving, um, you feel guilty and question yourself and, and then the punishment contingencies come into play, but you also remember those highs that happen, that sort of thing. Um, plus variable interval uh, uh, reinforcement creates superstition. Yeah. So that's, those are all in play and it's, oh, it's kind of bad. Icky. It's very icky. Yes. Very icky. But yeah, I'm looking at the, the bite model right now there's just so many different facets that go into it and you talking about like the economic cults I hadn't even thought of that when you know I was like oh yeah let's talk about cults but like I was in an MLM and it's just it's so wild that you want to like stay and succeed but then like there's so many things working against you and it's just not a feasible model for the low tier 
individuals, but for higher tier individuals that got in early Mm -hmm. or have a lot of like downline or whatever you want to call it, like they do benefit a lot from it. So then you see these successes of other people and you're like, I can do it too, but it's not going to happen. And MLM stands for multi-level marketing. Um, And yes, I've been in an MLM too. Not going to, not going to say names because don't want to worry about lawsuits. Yep. (laughs) But uh, YouTube it and you'll find a bunch of different people that have left MLMs and you can find out the names of all the different ones if you want to. (laughs) Yes. There, there are way too many out there. Um, And it's interesting because cults of all varieties from MLMs to religious to political cults, um, they have actually manipulated our legal system so that laws that used to be on the books that made it so that they were vulnerable are off the books. Um, There's a lot of, um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of lobbyism because it's big money. Um, And, you know, the micro cults, those ones aren't aren't the ones that are doing the manipulation, but um, the thing is, is it's not just MLMs that can be economic cults. It can also be organizations that you're in. Um, one of those characteristics of like, you can't question the authority of the owner or owners or whatever, like zero tolerance of that. Um, same thing with that feast famine, that punishment, um, those sorts of things are all really big indicators. And it, you can have some of these in place and it doesn't technically fall into cult territory. Um, but that's why I definitely recommend checking out the bite model and, and Steve Hassan's work. In fact, if you go to freedomofmind.com, he, he has a lot of stuff up there um, just because of that. But we're talking about contingencies of this. So like that's, that's where we're diving in deeper because I want to I wanna add into this. Um, so one thing, so one of my passion areas is ACT, um, acceptance, commitment, therapy, and, and relational frame theory, um, which is a foundation of that. And as I've been reading and, and diving I realized something else that's really fascinating about cults. And that is that um, the most effective cults um, and by effective, I mean really good at recruiting and keeping people and working them until they're exhausted and, 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 or, you know, multi-generational, that sort of thing. Um, Those ones grab people by their values. Yes. And they manipulate their values Um, so that way the individual feels like they're living through their values, but not quite like, and then that like family cults or children that are born into like the bigger cults, like even if a cult doesn't start as a family cult, but children are born mm -hmm. under like the leadership, those poor, like kids, they don't know any different. Like they are raised with those values and they don't know that there's anything different like someone that is an adult and is choosing to join a cult like they may have had a learning history that kind of leads them to that choice but Mm -hmm. they still are exposed to you know they have already had exposure to outside influences and are maybe getting pressured into it but kids I mean and that's where like family cults are just wild because the kids don't know that there's any other options they may not know that the outside world exists or they may not realize that the outside world could be a safe option for them. So their Mm -hmm. values are instilled from birth and it's very hard to undo a lot of that brainwashing. And I, yeah, that definitely that. Um, One thing that I like about what Steve Hassan has done 
I can't, I'm sorry I keep on coming back to him because no, no, I, I need to go read it now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love how he does a very good job of um like it, he he mixes and varies uh on being more operational. And I'm just like, I want to sit down and talk with you and like help you strengthen your arguments. Please can I can I do this? But you should have him on next. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could. I I maybe I can. I don't know. Um, but uh yeah, so one of the things that I I love about his work is he does a really good job of defining terms, and um, he goes into like the origins of the term brainwashing, um, which is the more extreme approaches to what Steve Hassan labels mind control. I prefer to call it uh, uh, thought manipulation because yeah. you're you're manipulating contingencies, but at the same time, mind control is not a bad term. It's just there's a lot of loaded with that same thing with, with brainwashing. But what people don't realize is that the term brainwashing is literally a translation from a term um, that was used by the Cantonese during the Korean war, uh, sorry, the Chinese during the Korean war. Uh, Cause um, us soldiers were taken into indoctrination camps and were literally brainwashed. And the Cantonese was um, wash brain. Yeah. Because, you know, that's how their, their language is structured. They say the action and then the noun. And so that's a little translation from that term. And the, the techniques and the applications have been around for a very long time, but it wasn't until that happened that psychologists and behaviorists started scratching our head and being like, well, what's going on here? Like, what are all these things that are in play? And how is it that somebody can be taken like, you know, good old Joe American fighter or uh, I think it was a NATO fighter, so it didn't have to be necessarily American, um, and come out the other side being a staunch for something that is completely opposite to their who they are and their values. Um, and so it's still a fascinating thing. And I think that the, the world of behaviorism um, can contribute a lot towards helping to address these issues. But at the same time, uh, one of the things that I kept on asking myself over and over and over as I was, as I was listening to this book and, and reading the articles I was reading was um, how are we using these sorts of things ourselves and how are we being unethical? Because I'm always asking that question, like, am I doing this? And it, it really starts to get into your mind and your heart, which I think is a good thing to question. Like, yes. are you, manipul are you manipulating someone's environment to change their behavior to truly benefit them and their goals and what they want or are you doing it because society says it's the best or because a parental figure wants that like there's so many things that go into it and it, it gets really sticky it gets yeah. really sticky because I could without my husband's consent try to manipulate his behavior through like reinforcement and things like that but that's not an ethical thing to do Exactly. And, and we have to be catching ourselves in that, making sure that we're not making little, little mini cult members because yes. <laughs> that would be a problem. Um, or and, even making them susceptible to it. Like if you, uh -huh. if you teach someone blind compliance all of the time, that's not going to be good. I would rather teach a kid how to say, no, don't touch me instead mm -hmm. of teaching them that they have to accept a hug or that they have to accept a, a kiss. And that as a parent, it is really hard because 
you want your kids to hug your own family members. But then I also have to remind myself, like she is her own person. She needs to be taught autonomy and she needs to be validated that if she doesn't want to hug someone, it is okay. Like. Exactly. And, and the reverse is also true because I'm working currently with an individual who loves, loves, loves hugs and will walk up and just hug anyone. Um, and we're working on understanding the concept of consent because flip side, when this individual is an adult, if they don't honor the, cons- uh, the, the choice of the other person, then we have a case of, a, of me too. Uh, we, right. we perpetuate rape culture or whatever you want to call it. But the long and short of it is, is like a key component that breaks cults apart from other organizations that may look kind of like it or be quirky or weird is the autonomy of the individual is always, almost always prioritized. Like, obviously, if it harms others, then that, that's a situation that's, that's problematic. But religion does not equal cult. Economic situation does not equal cult. Politics does not equal cult. It has to be. MLM does. Just kidding. But MLM does because MLM is a specific structure that hits every single one of those. (laughs) But if you're in an MLM, don't come for me. I'm I'm not hating on you personally. I just think the structure is very harmful to a lot of its members. Yes. And (laughs) I don't think someone who sells makeup is evil. I I don't. I don't. and, And to be honest, I was in an MLM where I was moderately successful. I was coming out on the positive, not the negative. It was not, I wasn't one of the higher up people. So therefore I wasn't making tons and tons of money, but it, you know, it was like, you know, 30, 40 bucks extra each month. But I finally got to a point where I'm just like, this is not okay. Yeah. I, I'm done. And I just left um, to the disappointment of the individuals that wanted me to be involved. And I feel bad for them, but not so bad that I wouldn't do it again. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times like the products themselves or the services or, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. they're selling, it's not necessarily that that is bad. It's, or, or and the products may work. Like I, you know, like I was telling you about the muscle rub that I have that I really, really love. Yes. It just happens to come from a multi-level marketing group. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the, fact that they're not available to buy outside of certain members mm-hmm. and then the upline is always benefited whereas the downline may not be making any money so like the upline would be someone who recruits a member and then the downline would be like a member that's been recruited and hasn't recruited anybody yet or they're like not at the top of you know the pyramid yeah so or speak. not near not further up the pyramid either yeah um and they, they do a very good job. If, if somebody asks the question, is this a pyramid scheme? It is, they're very quick to be defensive about that. Ooh. It's direct sales. Yeah. <laughs> every, and I've, I've encountered this from everything from skincare to essential oils to um, shakes and smoothies and health related things to household products. It, it, it's, all things that people want, but you could probably go to the store and buy it and it would work just as well. Maybe. Well, and that's another thing that, that is fascinating to me about cults is um, unique language, like, yeah. which, which isn't to say that unique language in and of itself is a signaler who we, we, 
behavior analysts love our behaviorese. (laughs) Jargon. That's what it, that's jargon for the jargon. Jargon. But like, um, there's their jargonistic characteristics also are kind of a warning sign of culty behavior. Um, worldly is a word and I, I i'm not i didn't even think of it up until like just this moment but that's one that i have been exposed to a lot in terms of quiverful cults is the term worldly you don't want to be worldly because being worldly is sinful or being worldly is evil or you know things like that so a lot of times there's like catchphrases or catchwords yeah yeah and um to be honest, I've actually encountered some uh, Eastern religion cults, uh, yogic cults. I'm not going to name the specific one because I don't want anybody to get mad. Uh, <laughs> but they're like, and, and, and you can apply. It's like with anything you can you can apply it in a in a healthy way or you can apply it in a manipulative and controlling way. But again, it's, it's taking commonly accepted terminology and maybe tweaking it just a bit or twisting it. So that way it's its own thing um, or shifting the meaning just a bit. So it's more applicable, but the, the key there is, is that all those terminologies are used for that, that positive or negative punishment um, and used for that, that manipulating of the contingencies. Whew. So um I think we should probably touch on like, how do you know if you're in a cult? And then also what are some steps to leaving? I know we didn't like, you know, research that ahead of time or anything, but that's probably a good thing to talk about. Well, yeah, exactly. So um, let's see. Oh, oh, real quick. I'm sorry. I wanted to share with you uh, Steve Hassan's definition of mind control and undue influence. Yeah. Um, so first is mind control, and that's any system of influence that disrupts the individual's authentic identity and replaces it with a false new one. In most cases, that new identity is one that the person would strongly reject if asked for their informed consent. So a core right. characteristic of that is a lack of informed consent. Um, and then undue influence, which I really like that term, and that's that's really the stronger one that Hassan puts out there um, is violating personal boundaries and human integrity as well as ethics and often the law in intent methods used uh, and end result are a big factor in whether a given technique falls under undue influence to find per the uh, per the author so i really like his definitions of things yeah it, it Again, like he's very behavior analytic in many of his things. So I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, another thing that, uh, so since I have been in, in a couple cults that I've managed to get myself out of, I wanted to share a thought that I wrote down, which is that in, in both the economic and religious and political cults uh, that I interacted with, some longer than others, um, the a core characteristic for recruiting that was used is that in each one of those, I was taught that I should look for people going through major transitions in life. Read crisis. Yeah. Because. Well, and that makes me think of people reaching out to postpartum moms when uh they are like, and I'm, 
30, almost 32 weeks pregnant in, you know, a matter of months, I'm going to have jiggly belly and I'm going to be all squishy and it's going to be great because I'm going to have a little baby to love on. But reaching out to a freshly postpartum mom to try to help her lose weight is probably really not ethical. And she's, you know, going to be under like undue influence because even if she normally wouldn't pay, you know, $2,000 to buy into a healthcare program or like a supplements or whatever, yep. she might do that if she feels crappy enough and is in a really not necessarily state of crisis. Like not all postpartum women feel like they're in a state of crisis. I certainly did after my first, but you're in a really big life transition. Yeah. So you're really vulnerable. And like losing a loved one is another example or, um, a frequently, it's not always the case, but younger people tend to be more vulnerable towards recruitment because they're trying to figure out where they're at and where they're going, that sort of thing. College kids. Yeah. Uh, college kids are frequently, um, but that doesn't mean that it's only college kids because elderly people can be used for their money. Um, like middle-aged people are frequently professionals. Um, and so therefore can be used for uh, providing work or influence or recruitment or things like that. So there's a lot of them out there. Um, oh yeah. I almost forgot about the financial services cult I interacted with. I almost got sucked into that one. Whew, I'm, I'm kind of glad I did <laughs> also MLM. So, <laughs> but long and short of it is, yeah, those, those are some thoughts that, that I wanted to share because boy, howdy can, it cause all sorts of problems for people. So getting out, um, first and foremost, uh, how do you know that you're being unduly influenced if your entire environment is that influence? So as someone who was not like raised in a cult, but was kind of like part of one in adulthood. So I can't speak for children that are raised with no other outside influences, but as someone who had been raised a certain way and then entered into a relationship and been kind of influenced by culty stuff on that end, if it doesn't feel right and it feels a little weird, it probably is like you, and this isn't behavior analytic, but you usually have a gut instinct about if something is going really well, or if something's got a lot, a lot of red flags, like, there's probably going to be some mismatched reinforcement and punishment. And if you can kind of like identify that, you might have a problem on your hands. So I'm going to do a little bit of challenging there because you said it's not very behavior analytic, but we're organisms that are responding to our environment. And if we look at the neurological component of it, um, fast brain, slow brain is one way of putting it, or, you know, the, the different levels of the brain. So we're talking about like the lizard brain versus the higher functioning brain. Um, when your gut is telling you something is wrong, it's a good idea to listen to it. And I recommend the book, the science of fear. Um, and, and then the follow-up book, the gift of fear. Um, two different books by, sorry, two different authors, but both are really fascinating for understanding it because your gut instinct, gut instincts have gotten our species to the point where we're one of the dominant species on the planet. Yeah. Right. Uh, so regardless of your thought process, when it comes to evolution or, or that sort of thing, and I am a very religious or sorry, spiritual person, but I'm also very scientific about it. So I don't preclude um, 
I don't, I don't assume that just because I believe that there's a supreme being or beings that they couldn't have used evolution or those sorts of things. Theistic the evolution. Yes. I'm a, fan, I'm a fan of theistic evolution. Well, I'm kind of an agnostic because I, I can't really define, like I've met so many people from so many different backgrounds and faith who are all describing similar experiences. So I, I can't, I can't call it any one thing, me personally. And I'm sorry we're going into belief here because I try not to go too too deep into this sort of stuff. But at the same time, for me myself, I've made that decision. Um, and and more than anything, I'm a humanist. I believe in humanity. Or uh, no, not humanist. That's the wrong term. I'm pro-human. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the definition of humanist, so maybe I am. But uh, the point being <laughs> that um, I, I, humanity can be wonderful and it can be horrible at the same time, but our instincts have gotten us this far. So like, listen to your instincts and start analyzing, start looking and, and, and looking for data because your instincts are good more often than not, not always. Like sometimes your fast brain will make the wrong decision and it'll end up badly, but this is, this is how we've survived for a very long time. So mix that fast brain and that slow brain together to figure out what's going on. Um, and a lot of times, if you start realizing something's wrong and you're starting to see that mix of reinforcement and punishment and kind of those feast famine cycles, and it doesn't have to be as extreme as being yelled at. Right. Um, but like those start examining and then start asking other questions. Like what would happen if I question the leadership. Right. What would happen if I canceled my membership or, you know, what, whatever it applies to. Yeah. Um, what would happen if I left or um, any of those sorts of things. And if you're starting to see a pattern like this, then there's a really good chance that you're in a cult. Yeah. Um, especially if that organization is super, super um, punishing if they find out that you spoke to a former member. Yep. That's a big part of it is if, if, if they find any way, shape or form that you violated that, then it's definitely a cult. So I'm not talking like, you know, you belong to this one church and this other person left this church and completely changed religions. And I'm going to use these as examples. Right. I'm not. Uh, so for example, if somebody was raised as Jewish and they decided to convert to um, perhaps a uh, Buddhist faith. Okay. And mom and dad aren't too happy about it. And whenever they're, you're at, uh, whenever you're at home for whatever holiday, they kind of rag on you about it, but they still talk to you. Um, that's, that's not culty, right? Yeah. That's, that's just family. <laughs> That's just family. Family's never perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, would you, would you want mom and dad to be accepting and loving of you for what you have decided to do with your life? Of course, we all want to be loved and accepted for, for who we are, but sometimes people just struggle with, with accepting things that they don't understand. Um, but the flip side of it is if you leave and then maybe you're isolated for an extended period of time or the conversation is always coming up and there's always fights and arguments coming up around it. And certain people, when they find out that you've left are just refusing to talk to you or 
blocking you or things like that, that's probably a, a, a good indicator. Yep. So how about you? What do you, what do you think are some good ways to sell, to tell if you're in a cult and how to get out? I think if you ask yourself, would I be doing this without this leader? That might be a good one. So, and that might be helpful for like kids who are potentially raised in a cult. So like, would I be doing any of this if it weren't for my parents? And not that, not that families are automatically cults, but like ones that are very isolated, very restrictive, like, would I be making a different choice if I were allowed to? That's kind of a question you can maybe ask yourself. Um, how much of myself am I giving up in order to continue doing this might be mm. another good question. Like, am I completely denying who I am, what I want to do, what my goals are in order to conform to the leadership requirements or other group members or, you know, things like that. So that then brings up a, a question for signaling if somebody who is not a member of a cult, but sees a family member or friend or somebody starting to go into it, like what are, what are some signals of that? And um, I actually learned about this. Cool. Recently. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. So the, the main thing was that if you see someone that's either entering into a cult, you should be, what well, I'm trying to think of the phrase that this particular doctor who was like an expert on cult said, you should be like unconditionally available to them with support. So if you see someone that's disappearing into a cult, continue keeping that line of communication with them open. Mm -hmm. And even if they cut you off, continue trying to reach out if at all possible, because the biggest thing they're going to struggle with when they do choose to leave, if they choose to leave is not having a soft place to fall. And if you continue to be that soft place to fall, not saying you have to let them take advantage of you or drag you into it too, but continuing to be an open line of communication for someone should they choose to leave. So I guess a good example would be for my husband and I, he had a particular sibling that has decided to kind of break away. And we have been a very safe space and hundred percent validating to everything that the sibling is going through. And so the sibling is gravitating towards us and has had improvements in mental health since being able to be open and talk about things. Um, outside of that, there's not necessarily a ton that you can do. If there's illegal things happening or abuse happening, that's obviously different. But if a cult is operating within the law, there's not necessarily a lot that you can do to stop the person from going in. They will make their own decisions and they should have you know, the, the autonomy to decide if they want to be part of something or not. So it's kind of tricky in that sense, but just making sure that you are there to be validating, non-judgmental, continuing to support whenever possible, not to the extent that it harms yourself, but to the extent that if they leave, they know there's somewhere to go to. Well, and um, I would add to that, that if you're looking for resources uh, to help those family members, look for former cult members. Um, if, if it's, if it's a popular cult or a well-known cult, look up and find out, um, find people who have used to be a part of it and ask them the sorts of things that you can do. Um, keep in mind that a lot of times these people have been harmed by these organizations. And so there's also a lot of anger there. Um, and also keep in mind that if you're, if you're in contact with somebody and they have not eliminated contact or it's very limited, that be being angry is going to punish the behavior of reaching out. So 
try to avoid argumentation and try to be open for conversation, but not open for being unduly influenced yourself. Right. And I would, I would gather up as many local resources as you can. Like if you have a therapist or a psychiatrist on standby that you can refer someone to, that's always a good thing, just in general, unrelated to cults. But, you know, I have people in my area that if anybody were going through anything, I'd be able to say, Hey, I have these phone numbers for these professionals that do X, Y, Z. It might be really worth your time to look into this. And yeah. And then as far as like, as you are starting to leave a cult, like, let's say you can't just up and walk away, like, because you're so inundated in it or dependent on it or whatever. Or if it's like family, you can't like, if you're under 18, you can't just necessarily get up and walk away from your family, like Mm -hmm. legally. You might be able to, but I think starting to like it, it's it's unless there's something illegal going on, or unless yeah. the the place that you live has uh, laws in place that allow for I think between some places between the age of eighteen and sixteen, the kid yeah. can leave and make their own decision type thing. In yeah. some countries, I think it's as low as fourteen, but that's less common. So, yeah. but I would say healthy boundary setting and mm-hmm. trying to find boundaries that if you can't just cut all ties and run, or if you can't run, and even if you don't want to cut all ties, trying to find boundaries that you can set and setting those or finding ways to protect yourself. Like if there is certain information about yourself that you can keep to yourself to prevent yourself from getting harmed, but you can open up to other safe people. I think that's a good thing to do. Being very selective with what you inform the group members or group leader about versus what you inform safe people about. Yeah, exactly. By Um, no means did you have to deny who you are or what you want to do, but find safe people to, you know, consult with and, you know, to vent to. And if anybody out there happens to be realizing based off what we're talking about, or maybe realized before this, that they could possibly be caught up in some sort of cult, regardless of the type, economic, political, um, religious, or otherwise, please know that there is help out there. And there are tons of people who know what you're going through. You are not alone. You are not crazy or losing it. Um, And I will say right now, one of the best resources that that can get you started down this path is check out freedomofmind.com. There's also a Facebook page, Freedom of Mind Resource Center. Um, And that can connect you with a lot of other resources specific to your region, area, country, time zone, hemisphere, (laughs) whatever. Because there's a lot of people who try to collaborate and communicate and share this information. So that way people are informed because a big part of this, and this goes into more of the behavioristic approach, is this is discrimination training. You're learning how to discriminate between something that maybe is just not great versus something that can unduly influence you and cause incredible harm to yourself or those that you love. Yep. So yeah, um, those are, hopefully that resource helps. Um, I'm going to keep exploring this because as I've been reading and, and exploring and discovering this stuff, I've been realizing, oh my goodness, I've been in so many places. And if I had known this stuff beforehand, how could I have made life so much better for myself or others? 
I, yeah. And I really would like to eventually one day with endless resources and finances, I would like to build some sort of like a hub where people can go for a lot more like in-depth help because when I back in like October had gone on a podcast and talked about like cults, I had such a hard time finding resources for people to get help. Like I wanted to, you know, there's, and there's no like easy, like step-by-step guide for how to leave a cult and be okay. And, you know, live your life and find, you know, your new way, but there needs to be more. There definitely needs to be more because it is very traumatic and it is a lot more common than people realize. Well, I, I, sorry to, sorry to uh, contradict you, but I I think Steve Hassan has a step-by-step guide. So, and, and, and those that he cooperates with. So I think one of the messages that I got from this is we behaviorists need to hop on board and help out our peers with that. Because um, as I would, I I can't say this enough as I was listening, because I'm an audiobook fan, that huge, like that's, that's how I consume most of my learning. Um, or podcasts, it, um, and yes, I do read, but it, it's a little bit more difficult. I have a slight learning disability in that area. But um, as I was listening to this, I was just thinking to myself, these are really strong. Like I have a pretty good grounding in social psychology, not great. I'm still learning, but this is like, this is really strong stuff. And the behaviorist model can only strengthen it and only make it better. And um the author did talk about some early behavior stuff relating to conditioning and things like that. Um, but like, what if he understood motivating operations and how MOs are manipulated? So that way increases the value of the reinforcer. Um, what if he knew about how um, relational frame theory actually does a, 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 a superior job of explaining what's going on in the justification structure of how the relation as opposed to um, the Freudian slash Jungian model, which isn't wrong. It's just the RFT model improves. Like it's, it's like, it's like increasing the magnification on a, on a microscope. Um, So it's always with that attitude of, I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm trying to help us be better. Um, I will also say that uh, as I was listening, I was like, I need to have the Kindle version of this. So that way I can highlight and read and stuff. And it's really funny because right about at that time, so I had the option to buy the Kindle version and the audiobook at the same time. And I opted not to. Um, But then I changed my mind and went back to go to it and literally just finished the chapter about how some of the larger cults use their unlimited resources through the manipulation of their members to do denial of service against anti-cult measures. Um, And so I went to buy the Kindle version and it literally said, this book is under review. Oh no. (laughs) So, and, and, and you can, you can bet your backside that, uh, (laughs) that he's used to that. So it's, it's probably what it is, is it's a cycle of this sort of thing happening, but there's, there's a very strong contingency in place for cult leaderships and organizations to deny this knowledge. So another core thing right. that's important to keep in mind is don't just go for the first page of results on any search engine. Right. Dive deep. Like, Do go, deep dive. Because there's, go, there's things that can be done. Member, 
Yeah. Go connect with cast members. I, I really like um, freeginger.com specifically for quiverful stuff. They have a lot of different forums with people that are, you know, escaped the cult or who are critical of the cult and just it's a nice place to come together. And it was specifically, I think, founded because Ginger Duggar from 19 Kids and Counting like mm. was showing like divergence in like who she was versus who the family was. So yeah, freeginger.com. I've really liked as a forum to go and just look at different things and talk to people and unpack everything. Well, and if you want to learn a little bit more about unique cults, um, I definitely recommend the book Under the Banner of Heaven um, because that goes into um, the fundamentalist Mormon cults, uh, specifically the polygamists. And wow, is that book deep and covers a lot of stuff and, and does a very good job of showing the more, showing the more extreme components of cults um, as well. But at the same time, as I was reading this book and looking it through, I was realizing that a organization I worked for, so totally unrelated, totally unrelated to the religious side, but a, a company I worked for was doing almost exactly the same behavior with the exception of it wasn't centered around polygamy and sexuality that um, the certain cult leader was doing. And I was just like, well, I'm glad I got out. Yeah. (laughs) You got out just in time. I don't know if that business is still going or not, but I'm really glad I got out. So yeah, it's knowledge is power and if you're being told that you're not allowed to read certain things or explore certain things or hear certain things, that is definitely a key indicator. Um, Or if you know somebody that's experiencing that too. Um, So yeah, is there, was there anything else that you wanted to hit on? I think we hit on quite a bit. I think we, we did a jam packed episode. Oh man. And and I'm, I'm, but I feel like I could still talk for like 15 hours also. So like, (laughs) well, and, Part of the reason why I am being vague in what cults I've interacted with is because I don't want people to be turned off as soon as they hear a name. Right. Right. And I also don't want people to be assuming that just because they hear a, one name that that means other names are not okay. With the exception of MLMs, they're all crap. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm more than happy to say that, but uh, because I don't have a whole lot of money and they have a lot of money, I don't want to get sued for defamation. <laughs> so I'm talking general definitely out there and they are super popular super popular and super powerful um because of the money that they have and so that's a that's an area to be aware of and concerned about there are other people out there who are definitely more connected and willing to speak up about these things and they're talking about their personal experiences as well and so when it comes to defamation and, and the litigious nature of certain cults it's eventually it gets thrown out of court right sort of thing and they have really good support networks but i'm not connected to them so i ain't going there (laughs) but i think we should just let listeners know that like whoever you are like you are a valid human your life has meaning you are wonderful just the way you are and you do not have to depend on a leader or a particular group to have value and to be worthy to live your life the way you want to exactly and um 
also the other side of it is that, you know, just because you might hold common beliefs with your or that organization or have common values with them doesn't mean you have to stay a part of it to be able to have those common beliefs and values. Not even um, a little bit. <laughs> not even a little bit. It's like, it's okay for you to do something different. Um, and yeah, I think that's a good stopping point. So. Is there any other thoughts that you wanted to share? I don't think so. I think we, I think we hit on everything. Cool. Um, oh, also Reddit. Reddit is fantastic. Reddit, Reddit is fantastic. <laughs> it's really, it's really difficult for Reddit to be uh, moderated or controlled. There is some of that, but um, typically I've noted that a lot of the, not all, but a lot of the moderation and control of Reddit is kind of anti-cult. So yeah. <laughs> be, be aware of that, but Reddit, Reddit is a really good source um, for information as well. Um, okay, so Kayla, tell us again, where can folks find you? And uh, what, what was the name of your organization again, if they want to do some, some solid prep or improvement of their behavioristic skills in addition to culty related things, rather not being connected with them, not being connected with them. So it's all day ABA and it's all one word. Um, and I have a blog. There's a teacher's pay teacher store where I have like paid study materials, but the blog is all free. No ads even on there as of right now. Um, there's the all day ABA study materials, Facebook group. I do have a YouTube channel and I need to post more <laughs> on there. Um, and then, yeah, my name is Kayla model. And if you need anything, I am here to listen and thank you so, so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Um, folks, remember that Obehave is an open source education material podcast, which means you can use all or part of this podcast towards continuing of education and improving knowledge, um, which is a core characteristic of not a cult. <laughs> uh, so please share, use, you can use all or part. Um, just remember to cite your sources. Thank you again, Kayla, for coming on and uh, Obehave.
Thank mm-hmm. you.